Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. What he wants to convey to us has to do primarily about the kingdom that he has inaugurated with his coming. Now, I want to remind you again that a kingdom is a realm where a sovereign rules. It's a realm where the character and the nature and the power of that sovereign, whatever's true of the ruler of that kingdom, is true of that kingdom. And what Jesus is bringing to us is He's bringing us a taste or a seed of heaven, and He's initiating it into the hearts and the lives of men and women like you and me. What is true of heaven he says, has been placed in you, planted in you as an imperishable seed. That that which is true of the king of that kingdom has been, has been born into you by the very Spirit of Christ. That not only is this a realm and a kingdom from, a, from heaven itself, but also, it's the very power of, of heaven and power of the King. So that you can't look at Christianity or you can't look at your faith and simply say, well, here's my morality and here's my doctrine and here's my, here's my philosophy of life. Rather, Paul says, it's not of word, but of power. And unless you have encountered the power of both the king and the kingdom, then you're not in the kingdom. And, it, and that power is the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so as, as Jesus is unpacking and, and, and sharing with the general public this, these truths of the kingdom that He has initiated even as a seed that is growing into a tree, he then turns his attention in Luke 17 away from the masses, away from the public. And now he begins to intensify his teaching to his own disciples. He's now entrusting to them the assignment which he inaugurated in, him, in them. He's entrusting now the kingdom to them. And so as we read this together, as we read this parable that we're about to read, he is not speaking to everybody. He is only speaking to those who truly follow Him and who are willing to be on assignment for His kingdom. So let's read this passage together. As you're reading this, I want you to realize you probably made a mistake coming this morning. <laughs> Last week was bad. This is worse. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you like it to get worse. Because you don't want the superficial. You want the seed that goes into the ground and dies and then begins to sprout, take root, and becomes a tree in your life. Otherwise, why do it? Either have all of Jesus or none of Jesus. So let's read together what Jesus has to say to his followers. I like it when you read out loud, so let's read it together. 
Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So as Jesus intensifies his teaching to his disciples and the message that he has to say is to his disciples, not to anyone else. As a matter of fact, if you try to do what Jesus is teaching his disciples to do here, it will actually be dangerous for you. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the new life and the new birth in the Spirit of Christ, these things that He's asking of His disciples is not only impossible, but it's also spiritually dangerous to you. For He says this to His disciples. He says, You will be, and your behavior will be, and your speech will be everything that everybody else knows about the kingdom. And if you lead people astray, it's going to be bad for you. He is explaining to them that, that the, their lives, their very living out the kingdom in this realm, is how the whole world will know about the kingdom of God. And then he goes so far as to say, not only do you have this issue of living a public life of purity and and of righteousness, but also you have this responsibility that everybody who sins against you, you have to forgive. That you can't hold grudges. That you can't stay angry. (laughs) The disciples hear these things about how serious the issue of sin and leading others into sin, how serious Jesus is about forgiveness and forgiving, and they go, give us faith or increase our faith. And Jesus says, you're copping out. You're looking for it to be easy. You're looking for it to be magic. He says, look, all you have to have is faith the size of a mustard seed if you have your faith properly placed. If your faith is properly placed, if your faith is heading in the right direction, if your faith and trust are securely in the right place, all you need is just a little bit of faith because the faithfulness of the one that you're putting your faith in is all you need. And they're just, they're blown away by this. And, and then he looks at them and, 
And he takes it a step further and he tells the story of a servant. And he's explaining to them, basically, that he's the master and they're the servant. And he explains it in this parable. And the parable unfolds as we read it that, that whether this is a, a farmhand or this is someone who has you know, uh, been in the, the uh, indentured servitude system, that this servant is someone who owes the master nothing. Or the master owes the servant nothing. The servant owes the master everything. And so you have this, this situation where he's not an employee or an employer, but real, the reality is that every day this servant goes out in the fields or tends the sheep or whatever it is, and then comes home and he doesn't get a nice hot dinner and sit down to a nice table where his master serves him. No, the master tells him, go clean yourself up, go put on clothes that are fit for serving, now serve me my dinner. And once the dinner is over, the master doesn't go, oh, you wonderful servant, you. The master says nothing. The master gives no praise. The master gives no reward. And Jesus says it's because the servant has only done what the servant was supposed to do. Well, (laughs) the servant himself realizes I've only done my job. This story, one, it's it's really a splash of cold water in the face to any of us and all of us. That Jesus is comparing that if you're going to follow Him, you will, at least at the elemental level of Christianity, one of the issues is, is He the Master and are you the servant? That in some ways you will never be able to go any further in this kingdom till it is established who the Master is of your life, of your, of your heart. Now, one of the problems with many of us when we see this kind of slavery or servitude that is portrayed here is we often see it through the filter of American slavery. And American slavery was really a unique form of slavery even in the history of the world because in Jesus' day, you were not allowed to own the person. You owned their labor, but you did not own them body and soul. You People were not property. Their work was your property. Their labor was your property. But you could not, as a master, do anything you wanted to your servant. As a matter of fact, though it was not in any way a pleasant thing to be a servant in the system, you were confined, you could not work for another, you only were working for your master, but there was an element of grace to this system. For no one entered into this indentured servitude who did not have a debt. And they always entered into it because they had a debt that they could not pay. There was no chapter 11. There was no bankruptcy court. You were owed, you were owing for the rest of your life. And so your creditor could either throw you into a prison where you would be tormented and suffered for your debt. And you could be left there for the rest of your life. Or the creditor could decide you can work off your debt by becoming my servant. So the servant owed and the master owed nothing. The master owned the labor of the servant but did not own 
the heart or the soul of that servant and could not do whatever they wanted to do. And so, when Jesus uses this picture, you have to see the first century picture, not the later pictures. And so as you look at this, you realize that this master has in many ways graciously allowed this person in debt to come into his home, to come in and to work off his debt. And so one of the things that Jesus is referring to here is that if you are a servant, it is because you are a debtor. The servant owes. The servant is working off the debt. See, to understand the relationship that you have with God is you have to come to the place Jesus says that you understand that He's the master and you're the debtor. If you don't understand that, you will never really be anything but disappointed and frustrated with the plans of God for your life. Because whenever you think that everything's going to turn out a certain way, have you noticed how often it turns out the opposite? So part of it is what you begin to grasp from Jesus' parable. A Christian has to grasp this concept. God, you owe me nothing. I'm the debtor. You're not in my debt. I'm in your debt. But what do most of us do when life doesn't go? We want it to go. We may not say this out loud, but we think it. I'm entitled to a world that makes sense to me. I'm entitled to things going my way. When we were, when we were in France uh, recently and, and we were going places and we had these plans and there were four of us, Lisa and I and Ron and Wanda Walborn, and we were going these places and quite often our, our plans got frustrated. And uh, I was enjoying because mostly they were Ron's plans. And... Uh, and I was watching him, and one time he goes, sometimes I just want to take the world by the throat and throw it down and make it do what I want it to do. And I thought, isn't that true of all of us? You know, in a way, we, and, and what we're saying by that is I'm owed. I demand. I'm entitled. And if, if that's in your heart, what will happen is you'll become bitter with God. You'll become disappointed with God. But remember what Jesus said. He said, if you have to faith even the size of, the, of a mustard seed, you can say whatever you need to say. You can say to the mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and it'll have to throw itself in the sea. Why? Not because your faith can throw a mountain into the sea, but because your God can. But if your trust is in your plan, it doesn't matter if you have a tree-sized faith in your plan. Your plan comes from a place that is not the servant to the master. Your plans come from the place where you're the master and God is your consultant. He'll never be your consultant. He who formed the seas and swaddled them in clouds will never consult with you about how to do anything. And until you recognize that, you will not be a happy follower of Jesus. You'll always be frustrated. You'll always be unsatisfied. Think about even the way that God puts us together in families. 
He doesn't make us attracted to people who are like us. He makes, puts us with people who are opposites. So again, we're in Paris. I'm 50 yards ahead of Lisa all the time. She's back there. She, sometimes when we go to the airport, she's still getting her purse while I'm checking in. I mean, we, he, she moves slowly. She doesn't like to make mistakes. She moves cautiously, carefully. I move at the speed of light. I don't care if I make mistakes. I just want to get there. So what does he do? He bonds us together. Now I could say to you, what in the world were you doing, God? Or I could say, you're the master. And the master knows what's best for the servant. He's taught me to slow down and not make so many mistakes. And he's taught her to speed up and not be so mad at me. <laughs> See, if you're constantly bitter with God and you're constantly disappointed what your faith is in is in your plan and you're frustrated he won't be your consultant or your assistant he'll never do that he's the master and until you've reversed these roles you'll never be a satisfied follower of Jesus Christ these statements will never do for a true believer I'm entitled I demand I'm bitter the assumption is false that God owes you a good life. Our deepest faith and trust, our truest trust, manifest in our service. Do you see this picture? The servant served all day out in the field. I can imagine he was tired. But then he has to go change his clothes, get a little bit smelling, a little bit better. Then he has to serve at table to the master. And when he is finally finished, then he can eat. That could make anybody bitter. But this servant says, I'm just doing my duty. This is who I am. I owe him. He does not owe me. And until we get to that place, we will rely on our own accomplishments. We'll look at everything that's going on in our lives and we'll say, that was my education that I did. That was my gifts. Those were my talents. This was my effort, and as long as you're relying on yourself, all you have is yourself. Because you're forgetting that the Master gave you the breath that you breathe. Where did the talents come from? The intellect? It came from the very mind and creativity of God. Where did the opportunities that have given you success in your life come from? It wasn't from you. It was from Him. He can open a door that none can close, but He can also shut doors that you can't open. Are you hearing me? So not only is the servant a debtor, but Jesus says the servant serves without qualification, without giving conditions. How many of us have said, oh, you know, God, I'll get around to that someday. You know, I'll, re I'll read my Bible next week. Or I'll, I'll do this. Or God is saying to you something really clear and you're like, I'm going to put that off. I've even had people say to me, you know, I'm going to turn to Christ in the later days of my life. Now I want to have fun. 
I mean, I've heard all manner of things. You understand what Jesus is saying is that if you've really received and encountered the power of Christ and the love of God has been lavished in your heart, then when He says jump, you say how high. When He says move, you go. And the story that I had you read about the, the lepers is a story that explains this so very well. Leprosy was one of the worst diseases anybody could have because not only did you have the physical effects of it, but you were immediately ostracized. You were removed from your family and your community. You were declared spiritually, uh, community-wise, you were unclean. Here are these ten lepers. They're, they're out in their, all by themselves and they're far away. They're, they're, they're away from Jesus and they begin to shout out. Have mercy on us. And you know what they're saying? Heal us. They're saying, heal us. Take the leprosy away. Have you ever noticed as you read that? I, I missed it for years. I didn't notice this little detail. He didn't heal them. He ordered them. Come on, let me, you've got to hear this. He didn't heal them. The Master ordered them to go and show themselves to the priest. No healing took place till they obeyed. No cleansing, no restoration took place till they moved. How many of us in this room go, oh God, heal me. Cleanse me. Make me successful. Bless me. And yet, we don't have Him as our Master. We don't let Him order us. They were not healed till they moved. They were not healed till they responded. See, they had to go to the priest. And if they went to the priest and they were still leprous, they had no idea what was going to happen. They could have been doubly sanctioned. They could have had worse things happen to them. They were risking being foolish in order to obey. So they were obeying, you see, without condition. They were saying, okay, you tell us to go, we go. And as they're going, the leprosy leaves them. Now you have to understand, they could see it. Because it's a manifest disease. It isn't like, oh, I think I'm feeling a little less sick. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes people come to heal and I had a headache. They go away without the headache. You know, and you're like, well, I hope that was a healing. Could have just been something else. Who knows? But when leprosy dip- disappears, there's no question. And it happens as they're going to the priest. But they have to go before the healing even takes place. How would you have responded to that? Would you have said, hey, I'm, you know, you heal me and I'll go. You make it clear, you make it clear that I'm healed and then I'll show myself that I'm not going to make a fool of myself. You, you do it and then I'll go. See, the, the issue of that is it's not a true servant's heart. A true servant's heart says, I obey you no matter what. I obey you even when it doesn't make sense to me. I obey you because I know as I'm doing what you're saying that I'm to do, I will be healed, I will be cleansed. Many of us are waiting around for a feeling. 
We're waiting around for evidence. We're waiting around for it all to be all right. Do you know the moment you do what the Master orders, you have turned a corner. A corner from which you'll never come back. But you have to make that decision. See, there's, a, there's an old booklet that was used to bring a lot of people to Christ, and it was called My Heart, Christ Home. And it was the idea of inviting the Lord Jesus into your heart as if you were inviting Him into your, your home. That He became the Lord of your heart, the Lord of your home. Can you imagine saying, Lord Jesus, I invite You in, but not that closet. Not that bedroom. I invite You in, but You can't go here. Lord Jesus, I'm going to set up a living room especially for You. I'll put a cross up. I'll put that picture with your eyes that follow us all over. <laughs> I'll have other you know, religious sayings. That'll be your room. Do you think the Master is satisfied? Do you think you're really a servant if every closet, every man cave, every attic doesn't belong to Him? If He's not the Lord of your whole heart, He's not the Lord in those areas, you're the Lord and you're competing with Him. This is a tough thing, friends. Because Jesus is saying you have to trust Him that what He is doing, He knows, even if you don't know. So this means your finances. It means your sexuality. It means your health. It means every area of your future. It means that you begin to say, I will move with you even when I don't yet see the healing that I long for. Because my Master has commanded. Only when the will of your, of your life is relinquished, only then are you truly His servant. Any condition that you gift Him, I will serve you if, I will serve you but, that nullifies your servanthood. That's what Jesus is teaching here. The strength of the power of the healing work of Jesus only came to the lepers as they were doing what the Master had ordered. I, I, I know I'm saying this a couple of times because I want you to get it. You understand, He could do that. He could just heal them. He could just say the word and they were healed. But His choice was to order them to establish master-servant relationships. That's what He's trying to do with you. Do you understand? There's a thousand victories that Jesus has already won for you, but they will not be experienced by you if you're not in the master-servant alignment. Until you move where He tells you to move, you'll not find the victories that He's already won for you. It is so important that you understand that every day you are beginning not beginning, you are being bombarded and tempted to believe that this life is the only life that there is. Do you understand? We live in the most secular time that has ever existed. In Jesus' day, there were competing religions and there were many religious views, but every single religion agreed on this one thing, that there were two worlds. And that this world was a prep for the next. We live in a day that says this is it. This is ultimate. There is nothing else but this life and this time. And you see, if that's true, then you have the right to be demanding. 
If that's true, then you have the right to say I'm entitled to a good life. If that's true, then you can be bitter at all the things that haven't gone your way. And you can try to take the world by the throat and see if you can strangle it to the ground. If that's true. But if it's not true, and Jesus says it's not true, Jesus says that if you're a follower of His, the next life has already implanted an imperishable seed in you that is growing into a tree that others can nest in. If that's true, then everything you do here, everything you do here is significant for the world to come. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. It is foolish of you to be a servant who qualifies his or her servanthood to what you can understand. A servant looks for ways to serve his master. Another way to put this is an imagery that is given is that you're also his warrior. Warriors don't look for relief. They look for ways to finish their assignment. A servant looks for ways to serve. There, there are people who often tell me, I've been doing this a long time, and there are people who come up to me and they say, you know, I don't have enough theology to really share my faith. Or, you know, I don't really know enough Bible. And, they, you know, and some will come to me and say, I have a really, I have a lot of bad things in my past. I have all these ways I'm not qualified. And I always, I always think to myself, what is he asking of you? He's asking you to have the servant-master relationship. How many qualities does that mean you have to have? All you have to do is do what the master tells you. That's the only qualifying experience that you need is to say, I can serve. Now you guys are really quiet. I know I'm hammering you okay, with this thing right now. But are you listening? Are you hearing? Because I'm telling you, it's not the only thing of Christianity, but if you don't get this foundational thing, all of your life with God will be disappointing and frustrating to you. Listen, this world is not the place that is designed for your happiness. Let me give you a silly illustration. If I had a beautiful watch, well-made, beautiful, expensive watch, And I took that watch and I decided to use the watch to hammer a nail. You know that that watch, as beautiful and and, and, and intricate as that piece would be, as I hit the nail with the watch, the watch will break into pieces. And I could go, sorry watch, horrible watch. But why would it be such a horrible watch? Because I'm using it for something it was never made for. When you use this world as your place of happiness, you are breaking yourself like a watch on a nail. Because you're trying to get out of something that it was never intended to give you. Give you one more illustration. One that makes sense to me. Whales are magnificent creatures in the ocean. Their size and their shape is perfect for the choreography that they perform in the ocean. But as soon as a whale comes out of the ocean and is stuck on a beach, everything that makes him great in the ocean makes him vulnerable on the beach. Friends, you're a beached whale. This is not your home. 
You are always going to feel vulnerable here. You're always going to get into places, whether it's your health or your finances, relationships, the future, whatever it is, you're going to get into places where you feel vulnerable. But if you try to make this world your ocean, then you're the fool. Because it wasn't made for this. Let me ask you this. If this was, in a sense, if this is really what we were made for, would we die here? No. You're made for a place where you can never die. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. That's our master. I, I, I mean, is it so quiet because it's really hitting you? You're hearing me? It has hit me all week as I, I started this on Monday. I knew I was going to do this for a while, but I kind of put this one off because I knew it was a tough one. I mean, this is just black and white. Servant, master, master, servant. Either are or not. You either relinquish your will or you don't. So how do you get the power to serve the way that Jesus describes? Well, it's seen in the story of the leper. Do you see when that one leper, he gets it? Only one out of the ten actually get it. And Jesus is very intentional on this. And this is the one who shouldn't get it because he's a, he's a Samaritan. He's not even of the people. He's a foreigner, Jesus says. I think he says it tongue-in-cheek so that they would get the irony of it. But this leper comes back and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Now, you've got to understand something. This leper is not bound by any law whatsoever to Jesus. There's no requirement whatsoever, as we see by the other nine who don't even come back. There's no law here. There's no, there's no bond except the bond of love. So, if you think about it, and, and you are a Christian because you want to be a moral person, or you're a Christian because you're trying to do the right thing, or whatever it is, and you bound yourself to, to trying to do it right, and that's why you do what you do. Then in reality, what you've done is you've bound yourself to the fear of punishment. You've bound yourself to the hope of reward. And so when the world lets you down, that bond becomes bondage. Have you not noticed that there are good people that horrible things happen to? Have you not noticed that there are, are scoundrels who seem to have it really easy and well? If you look at the world and you look at life and you say, I am bound to the law, then basically what you're doing is you're not saying, I'm bound to the love of God, I'm bound to the fear of God. And when you're bound to the fear of God, it's not about God, friends, it's about you. When you do anything for God out of fear, you're just doing it to avoid punishment or in hopes of reward. And in either of those cases, you're not realizing not, there are none righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is it then that makes this analogy of leprosy so powerful? Well, it's because it's an analogy of becoming a Christian. He both takes away the deadly penalty of sin. And He also places you in community. 
He takes you from being ostracized and outside and being dead in your sins and your trespasses. And the Word of God says, as many as received Jesus as their Savior, He gave them the right to be called sons and daughters of God. You know, it may be to you sometimes, you go, oh God, I'm the only one who's a good person. Oh God, I'm the only one who does anything for you. All these, I live in New York with all these wretched pagans. Oh God, smitest them with thine holy hand grenade. <laughs> and yet, what does the Scripture say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are debtors. What is it that binds this leper now? Not the law. The law has declared him clean, but the law didn't cleanse him. What binds him is someone else has set him free. Someone else has cleansed him. What binds you to being a servant to this Master is not because you're in debt, but because He paid the debt for you. I love it this way. This is so powerful to me. I've said it to you before, but it, it is such a powerful statement. He who was actually righteous became legally sinful so that I who am actually sinful have become legally righteous. Come on, that, oh. that is so rich, isn't it? You know, how can I... It's not because I have a debt. He Himself has fulfilled the law on my behalf. So I am not indebted to the law anymore. He didn't come into my life so I'd get better at keeping the law. He came into my life to be my life. He who knew no sin became sin so that I and you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. How can I not serve Him? Who else would pay? Who else would say I have that kind of worth or that kind of value? So the, the hymn writer says it this way, Oh to grace, how great a debtor. And see, if you don't understand grace, that hymn will never made sense to you. Because in grace, they're never debtors. Come on. See, if it's grace, there is no debt. If there's law, oh, to law, how great a debtor. Yes, law always demands the debt. But in grace, there is no debt. I love that. Come on, let the emotion of that hit you. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let my heart now like a fetter now, now let that grace like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Now, what I'm saying here is that this payment of my debt brings about an, a violence of eagerness to serve. You see, he flings himself, this leper, at Jesus' feet. He doesn't care. He doesn't care the other nine didn't come. He didn't think about it. He just... He just was flinging himself at Jesus. See, he's violently eager to serve. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he said it this way, our pleasure and our duty were opposite. They were in opposition to one another. Now, joined in the beauty of Christ and what He has done, a slave is transformed into a child 
and our duty into choice. What do you think? In a way, this is the heart of what Jesus calls you to. But as you see and you start to say, I have this great debt, but he paid that great debt, and suddenly our pleasure and our service becomes one because instead of it being, I have to do this, it begins to be, I choose to do this. Will you stand with me? We just have a, a few minutes before we have to end. I, I had this picture in the first service. I'm having it again in this one. He didn't say to the lepers, I heal you. He said, go and show yourself to the priest. He ordered them. They had to move to be healed. I want to ask you to do something today. I, we don't usually do this in at 10 o'clock, but I, wanted, I feel like the Lord is asking if today you are saying, Lord, I, I really, I am your servant. You are my master. Maybe you've had places where you've been bitter, you've been angry, you've been disappointed. Your faith has been in your plan, not in him as a person. Or maybe you've been serving him just because you, you know, you're afraid or you, you, know, you want a reward. Whatever it is that's off, today's the day to move and be cleansed. And I believe the Lord wants you to come to the altar. So there's no music that's going to... Well, actually there are. Sorry about that. Gosh, well, if heaven just opened up. Sorry. There's music. Um, I want to invite you to come and stand close to me. I, I'm making every service my altar today. I have felt broken by this. Because I have often said, I'll do it tomorrow, Lord. Or I'll do it next week. Or I'll do it when I have enough. And I'm just asking you, would you come up to me? If you sense, you, wanna, you feel like, I want this healing. I want a cleansing in my life. I want to establish again that He's the Master and I'm the servant. You want to just sense that the Lord would say to you like He did to those lepers, come, show yourself. Reveal yourself. Press in as close as you can. Give yourself to Him. I, I'm a broken watch with you. I'm a beached whale. This is not my world either. The seed has been planted in us, but I, I, I want to see it grow. And, and at times there have been places I said, not, not in this area, Lord. Not, not now. Every time I've done that, every time I've tried to be the master, I have blown my life up. I'm asking you today just to, just to give the reins to Him. And some of you, maybe you are afraid. You worked all day and then you got to serve all night. Maybe some of you are, are having to take care of people you never expected you are going to have to take care of or you're in marriages that are much more difficult. Or you have job situations where it's so hard to be in that position. You're not happy. I'm asking you right now not to take it into your own hands. I'm asking you to say, I'm a servant. You're the master. I go where you tell me to go. I do what you tell me to do. I say what you tell me to say. 
I can't tell you the times I've, I've bought a house because I wanted it or a car because I wanted it, right? I was so angry that I didn't get a certain job because I wanted it. All the while forgetting, I am the servant. He is the master. Even when it doesn't make sense to me, He has a plan. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for calamity. To give you a future, a hope. My God shall work all things for your good, for those who love Him and called according to His purposes. Would you say these words with me? I, I say them not for you. I say them for me, but I invite you to say them with me. Jesus, you have paid my debt. You owe me nothing, but you paid everything I owe. I am eager today to serve you. My duty has become my pleasure and my choice. I submit my will. I open my home you as my master. Command me. If you linger here just a moment more, I just want to say something over here. I feel like the Lord is really speaking powerfully. He's moving powerfully. But there are often other voices. And I, I, if you're willing and you open up your heart to this command you should only have two voices that you ever hear in your head your own voice the voice of your own heart and the voice of your savior any other voice is a deceiver so even if it sounds like you or sounds like your mom or whatever your mom's not in your head so i'm going to i'm just going to speak over you a, a binding so that and a loosing, binding other voices, but loosing the voice of the Spirit of Christ to lead you, to guide you. In the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bind over every person who has come forward, who has moved for cleansing. I bind over them any voice that comes from an unclean spirit, any voice that comes as a liar, a thief, destroy you. I bind you. I tell you, go right now to the feet of the Lord Jesus. And I loose this day in the authority of the name of Jesus that the voice of the Spirit of Christ will be known by every single person committing themselves this day as servant of the Master. That they will know, I loose that they will know and discern the voice of the Master over every other voice. The voice of the Master is healthy and holy the voice of the Master is loving, not accusatory. The voice of the Master does not condemn, but encourages. The voice of the Master will never tear you down except to expose where you're already broken so that He can build you up. He will not embarrass you, but He will reveal what needs to be healed and He will give you the power to change. I loose that voice in each of you that that would be the voice you listen to that that would be the voice that speaks to you, that you may be a servant who serves well His Master. I speak over you this day. The Lord is 
said to me that the most important words that you're looking for, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Nothing more important than that. We seal this in Jesus' name. Amen.